Hello, and welcome to Learning from a Layman. This is Carl Christensen back again with Johnny Nielsen, uh, or Johnny Hotcakes. That's what they used to call me. <laughs> and uh, Cameron Christensen, who's having technical difficulties, so may or may not be able to contribute much in this episode, but he's here in spirit. And Matt Christensen, who, if he doesn't contribute much to this episode, uh, well, it'll be a very short, um, maybe Johnny can give it, do some stand-up comedy for us. I'm sitting down. Sorry. Okay. Dang. <laughs> well, uh, then good. Um, glad we ruled that out. Um, okay. We're going to actually today, we're going to talk about the laws of thermodynamics, which... I had to look up the pronunciation of thermodynamics, so uh, I am, of course, kidding, mostly. Uh, But suffice to say, uh, you cannot become more layman on the subject than I, though I'm familiar with the idea of entropy, kind of, Um, but it uh, is confusing. So um, we're going to go ahead and punt the thermodynamic topic over to Matt, and we'll... um, discuss it as we go. So Matt, uh, tell us a bit about the laws of thermodynamics. Well, really quick, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about entropy. (laughs) Uh, There's these rabbits, you see. (laughs) And, oh, nothing? I think that's watership down. Oh, I'm, isn't that the same? Easily confused. Uh, All right. No. So yeah, what 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 are you? What is okay, your so understanding of is, entropy? Um, the entropy uh, that I'm familiar with is the idea of uh, essentially. So in in computer science, uh, there is this idea of entropy. You want to maximize entropy. Actually, when you're creating a, a model in computer science, is a model called maxent, which is maximum entropy, because you want to be uncertain about your guess. So it's a law of uncertainty. So I'm assuming entropy has something to do with uncertainty and or um, Disorder. Yes. Okay. No, I was just wondering. Um, that is a very lay definition, and it's good enough. It's uh, disorder, disorderliness. Uh, right. Uh, you can think of it as that. Anyone who, who's actually studied physics and is listening to this is like shivering right now. <laughs> um, good. Okay. So the laws of thermodynamics are a couple of things that the uh, scientific community has accepted over the years and they've been restated in different forms but they're really important in governing our understanding of energy and what is possible with energy and energy manipulation um, so there are three laws of thermodynamics that were initially accepted and understood and then the community stepped back and realized, hey, we're missing a baseline definition here. And so they proposed a fourth law of thermodynamics. But because that fourth law was the underpinning of the other laws, it really needed to come first. And they didn't want to renumber all of the other laws. And so instead of making it the fourth law of thermodynamics, they have made it the zeroth law of thermodynamics. No, I am not kidding. And it makes so a lot are, of sense to a computer scientist. You start counting at zero anyway. So. Yes, but that's not where we want to take our baseline from. <laughs> but anyway, so you have the four laws of thermodynamics, the zeroth law, the first law, the second law, and the third law. 
And all of these things basically tell us how the world works in terms of heat and energy transfer. Thermodynamics, uh, being you know a two-part word, thermo, heat, and dynamics, uh, motion, movement, transfer, change. So the laws of heat change. And entropy comes into play in that quite a bit, but I'm going to minimize that discussion because entropy is a difficult to understand concept that I don't like. So let's go straight into the laws of thermodynamics here. Uh, the zeroth law is simply that if you have two systems and they are in thermal equilibrium with each other, or I'm sorry, with a third system, you have systems A, B, and C, and A is in thermal equilibrium with C, and B is in thermal equilibrium with C, then A and B are also in thermal equilibrium with each other. So you have three things. The first two things are the same temperature as the third thing. Therefore, the first two things are the same temperature. Doesn't and that... You look at that and you kind of go, well, duh. Um, and you should. But nonetheless, that's an important law to state because without that law in place, you cannot have such a thing as a thermometer. Uh, because your thermometer is supposed to be a gauge of temperature, is it not? If you're using it for any other purpose, I don't want to know. <laughs> um, but the whole thing that makes a thermometer worth doing is that your thermometer comes into thermal equilibrium with whatever thing it's touching. And that gives you a reading on a scale. If you put the thermometer next to something else, it becomes into thermal equilibrium with that thing eventually. And because it is able to reach that thermal equilibrium consistently, and because the zeroth law of thermodynamics is true, that allows us to have that measurement scale and that measurement instrument. If we did not have the law, then the only way that you could scientifically prove that two objects were the same temperature would be to touch them together and see and wait for them to reach thermal equilibrium through their um, exchange of heat. That's the only way that you could prove that two objects were the same temperature. So it's a kind of uh, face palm and why do we need this thing kind of law, but is fundamental for the types of people who care about scientific proof that speaking, we have that one in place. Okay, so speaking of proofs, I know relatively, well, not even relatively, I know precious little about proofs in general, but I know that physics and mathematics are, are complementary branches of, of stuff, of, of a thing. That's, um, <laughs> no? that's interesting language you're using. Well, you know, okay, you use mathematics and physics a lot, is I guess what I was trying to say, right? <laughs> as well as in chemistry. Biology, sure. zoology. Well, okay. Some of those you use less. Neurology. Let's just say in physics, in <laughs> theoretical physics, you better have a good understanding of mathematics, right? Shopping. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yes. So proofs in math are like a, uh, you have, they're a actual, like an equation. Like you have a proof, right? Like a, this equals this. And that is a fundamental proof. Uh, and yep. you have to be able to like mathematically take through 
the reasoning behind it. Is that the case with all of these laws? Yeah, your your laws of your your truly accepted laws of physics have to be provable. Otherwise, it's a theorem. It's an idea. It's something that makes a lot of sense and no one has been able to disprove, but I cannot say for certainty that it is correct in every case because I cannot prove it. The laws of thermodynamics are laws because they are proven and provable. Uh, the zeroth law is important because it is fundamental to the provableness, that's a word, of everything else. Okay, and so... So I guess what I'm trying to understate, uh, underscore or question, because I'm not entirely clear, but the idea that uh, when we talk about pr- something being provable or proven in the, in the area of physics or thermodynamics, we're actually talking about mathematic proof. Like not, yeah. I've done a scientific study and I've shown over this large sample size that, yep. no, it's literally like I can take you through the mathematics of why this is the case, right? Yes. Yep. Right. So when and you eventually see, like, you come to an equation that ends up saying one equals one, and therefore right. this is true. Right. Exactly. So when you see a lot of like uh, movies or whatever where you get physics, uh, you know, uh, geniuses, savants writing equations up on the board, a lot of those are they're trying to to get to the point where they can do proofs for particular ideas and laws to prove theorems. Right. Right. And other things. Okay, movies sure. are but, definitely the best way to learn. That's anything. the only way I've learned anything in life, all right? <laughs> Especially ones by uh, The Rock. I, I've learned a lot from The Rock. I think we've derailed again. <laughs> okay. Um, we can that's okay. The physics of how your arms will never be that strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. We should do yes. one of these where all of our discussion on the on whatever subject is just based on WWE catchphrases. So. <laughs> All right. Now, if you guys will go ahead and get these hands, let's move on to the next. Uh, okay. The next law. All Thermometers right. are true. Thermometers are true. That is the zeroth law of thermodynamics. All right. The first law of thermodynamics, which is number two on the list. Um, one of the things with all of these, there's there's about eight different ways to say them, depending on your scale of laymanness and your uh, the fidelity of your translation from the original French or Greek or German or whatever. So if you look up the definition of any of these laws, you'll get a bunch of different answers. Um, and so I'm not going to quote anything, but I will describe what the laws are because that is universally agreed. So the first law of thermodynamics basically says that when you have a closed system with a certain amount of internal energy. Uh, The change, the only way that you can change the internal energy of that system is to apply heat or work or matter or something into that system. And the change of the internal energy is equivalent to the amount of energy, work, heat, whatever chucked into it minus the work, heat, or energy emitted by the system during that reaction. Okay, if you think about that, and I restate it, it basically says that if you have energy X, you add energy Y, and you take out energy Z, your total energy is X plus Y minus Z. You look at that and you think, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense intuitively also. Why does that need to be a law? 
this is really just a restatement that um, of the law of conservation of energy, that energy cannot be created or destroyed, that when an energy reaction happens, the energy goes somewhere. Uh, it doesn't evaporate into the void. It is used. It is manifested in some form. It either leaves the system or is input to the system, and that change can be mathematically determined. Uh, an example, I have five buckets of energy. I chuck them into a light bulb. The light bulb emits energy uh, in an equivalent amount. It will absorb one bucket of energy and re-emit it as heat. That's why when you touch a light bulb, it burns you. And then it chucks out four more buckets of energy as light. Um, one plus four equals five. That's all that it's saying. Uh, all of my buckets of energy went somewhere. Some of them went to heat. Some of them went to light. None of them evaporated into the ether. None of them were destroyed. And I did not get six, seven, eight, nine, ten buckets of energy out of that light bulb. I got an equivalent amount out. That is the first law of thermodynamics. The energy that you put into the system is equal to the energy that comes out of the system minus any change in the internals. So uh, does that Z in that equation, the idea of what, um, what percent or what amount of energy that doesn't get added to the system, is that um, dependent on the system itself or, or on the reaction uh, on the energy being put in? Yeah, well, I mean, you can have, uh, I should be more clear on this. Say I have a system that already has three buckets of energy inside it. I add two buckets of energy. The first law of thermodynamics says that I now have five buckets, and they have to be somewhere. The five buckets can stay inside that system. Maybe the output is zero, depending on what the system is and what it does. But if the output is zero, that means I still have my five total buckets. They're just contained inside the system now. Maybe the output is five buckets, and at that point, the internal energy of my system has dropped to zero. That's a theoretical, idealized case, but still, you could have that. What the, the first law is important in saying is that if I have my two buckets of energy that I want to put somewhere, and I have my system with three buckets of energy, the most that I can get out is five. I cannot get six. I cannot get seven, and eight is right out. The number of buckets shall be five. Okay, but like in 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 real world application, though, so that but it's it's a lossy system, and that's Z, right? Z, like you're never actually going to get five buckets of energy if you add three to two in an actual real life scenario, right? You're, there's uh -huh. going to be some loss. So here we go into the nuances. The first law of thermodynamics says that the loss is part of that equation. It is part of that output. So when uh, I okay, gave the right. example of the light bulb, and I mentioned that you have heat that comes out of it, that's the loss. That's what we normally think of as loss. I can't do anything with that heat from that light bulb. It just makes my room hot. That's not what I want. I want the light. But that is where my energy went. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Likewise, if I have my car, my car has... A bucket of internal energy. 
I fuel it up with gasoline, and I light the gasoline on fire, and I've given it nine more buckets of energy. I now have ten energy buckets in my car. My car is able to zip down the road at a speed and a velocity and a mass and a motion that is equal to the consumption of five buckets of energy translated directly into kinetic motion. What happened to the other five buckets? Well, they got lost as friction. They got lost as heat. They got lost as air resistance. They got lost as all of the inefficiencies in, in my car and in my engine, excess heat. That's why my engine is hot instead of normal temperature. Uh, that's where all of those extra buckets of energy went. Uh, but the first law of thermodynamics is saying that if I have 10 buckets of energy and I use five of them to move forward, I'm going to have five buckets of loss. I won't have six. I cannot have six. I cannot have more than I put into it plus what I started with. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, I don't know how far we want to go into def defining things. So energy is like the ability or potential to do work or something like that, right? Or Yeah. Um, energy is, uh, I mean, uh, there, there's a lot of... I don't of want to go too far down the rabbit yeah, hole here. But, but yeah, it is a... It is what you have in an object or transfer to an object in order to get heat or work or irradiance from that object. And, uh, and we, we can jump into that uh, maybe after we do this. We can talk about energy units and what they all mean, why you have things like watts and joules and coulombs and yeah, that might be useful. Things like that. Let's, yeah, we can go ahead with the rest of the laws, but I think that would be useful because I think measuring uh, energy is something that, um, well, the layman like me doesn't even worry about, but it is but weird. It shows up on your electrical bill. Yeah, exactly. And why do you have kilowatt hours and what do those mean? So, okay. Um, one of the consequences of the first law of thermodynamics, and this is going to ruin a lot of dreams out there, I can tell, is that you absolutely cannot have a perpetual motion machine that does more work than the energy that you put into it. You can't get infinite energy out of a device no matter how you engineer it. It, it violates the laws of the universe. Tim, you told what me What about that. wives? <laughs> wives? Yeah. Uh, this is not an area that I think would be wise for us to go into. Um, <laughs> Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Carl, cut it's this. Part... Uh, edit, edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as far as I know, wives being the angelic seraphs that they are, are immune to most natural laws. However, thermodynamics still generally applies to them, I think. I don't know. Next time we'll talk about the natural laws of marriage. Woot. There's only one there, and it's yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> All right. Okay. Matt, continue. <laughs> so, second law of thermodynamics. Um, there's a whole bunch of ways to say this one, including a bunch of stuff about entropy. But the really basic one is that when you have some water and you put it on a blazing hot pan surface, generally you will not see an ice cube form and the pan get hotter. 
because the heat that is in the water does not go into that blazing hot pan. Uh, the result would be, imagine you, you, you place some water in a, in a pan that's on the stove. Would you expect to see an ice cube form out of that water with a lit uh, burner underneath it? No. No. Because that would mean that the water is transferring its own heat into the already hot pan. The second law of thermodynamics says that energy transfer does not go that way. It goes the other way. Um, you cannot transfer heat from a cold object to a hotter object. It just does not happen that way. It kind um, of like a, a, akin to the law, you know, water flows downhill, yep. right? But energy flows towards, its, um, towards neutralization. Well, yeah, it flows from hot to cold, essentially. Okay. So when I have my my hot pan surface and I dump water on it, what I will see is heat will transfer from the pan into the water. The pan will actually cool down. The water will heat up. And if I leave them sit there and I turn the burner off and I don't add any more energy to it, both of those items will reach a thermal equilibrium with each other somewhere in between their two starting temperatures. The pan will cool to colder than it was, and the water will heat up to hotter than it was. And then they will sit at that same temperature, whatever it is, for all eternity, unless energy is further applied to it or taken out of it. Okay, and to and, and and the reason the pan cooled down is not that the water uh, took some of its cold and put it in it, but some of the heat from the pan transferred into the water. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, and cold is not a thing that transfers. Right. Cold is the absence of heat. And and is this why I and Matt, you could probably explain this better, but I I remember you talking one time about problems of spaceships, like you know rockets overheating um, because they, there's no way to transfer heat off of it, right? Because they're in, you know, in a near vacuum. Is that... Uh, it's not exactly... Well, kind of, I guess, maybe. Um, that's more to do with heat transfer, which we can talk about more in a bit. Um, oh. But basically, in order uh, for heat to transfer from one thing to another thing, there has to be some medium for that transfer in general. That's not totally true, but in, in general it is. Turns out space doesn't really make much of a medium, so <laughs> it's hard for an object to radiate heat. The only way you can do it is by radiating heat, and that is a much slower heat transfer process. So when we think of something like a pan cooling off and radiating heat, a lot of what we're seeing is actually the pan heating the air around it yeah, exactly. As the, the air is the medium. Yep. Okay. Yep. Now, true radiated heat, um, it, it really manifests itself as, as visible light. You only get an appreciable amount of it when you literally see something start to glow red hot. That's where you really notice an appreciable amount of radiated heat. Every other type of heat, if you wave your hand right over that lit burner, the heat that you feel is heat that is transferred via conduction, if you're touching the burner, or <laughs> via convection, 
if you are um, through the air, as, as the air transfers the heat from the burner into your delicate fingertips. Uh, don't do this. Um, but when you look at that white hot, red hot, glowing chunk of metal, um, that is actually transferring heat directly into your eyes through radiated heat. It's not a lot of heat. It's a very small amount. Um, but it is an energy transfer. Uh, back to the second law of thermodynamics, though. The big thing is that that energy transfer doesn't go uphill. Heat always goes from hot to cold. So the air is not going to spontaneously condense into liquid helium and liquid hydrogen around the fire, and the fire will not get hotter because of that. It will go the reverse. The, the burning surface will get cooler, and the air will warm up. Nice. Okay. Uh, law three, then? Law three, which is actually the fourth one. Right. Uh, <laughs> so the third law of thermodynamics is um, weird, and this one matters, I think, a lot less to the layman or most people. Uh, but basically, there is a temperature called absolute zero. It is negative 273 point something degrees Celsius. It's really, really cold. And, and it happens when you're on your way to work in the morning in wintertime. You live yes. in Arizona, Tim. <laughs> it gets so cold down here. Sometimes there's frost. He has a skewed perspective on many <laughs> things, including thermodynamics. So. <laughs> We got our own laws of thermodynamics down here. I'm pretty sure the state flag of Arizona has a perpetual motion machine on it. <laughs> um, and it's always radiating. Yep. Anyway, um, absolute zero is defined as the temperature in which there is no molecular motion. Because molecular motion, which we did not talk about, is the source of heat. If there is no molecular motion, there is no heat. It is really, really cold. You cannot actually achieve absolute zero because the third law of thermodynamics basically says that the disorder, the entropy of a system approaches a, a really small constant value. If it's a pure substance and it's not glass, it will be zero as the temperature approaches zero. Well, okay. What does that mean to you practically? Um, not a whole lot, actually. Uh, Matt, did, did I understand right? You're saying that a substance would approach a, a temperature limit, but that limit is not absolute zero? Yeah, pretty much. You, you so just we, we can't, can't get achieve absolute zero. We cannot achieve absolute zero. No, you can get really close. But, um, yeah, a, a corollary is that it is impossible... By any procedure, and I'm reading straight from Wikipedia here, no matter how idealized, to reduce the temperature of any closed system to absolute zero in a finite number of finite operations. That was really stupidly wordy and, and just means you can't get to absolute zero. Um, there is always some level of molecular motion. Is some there any... Is there any... I, it, it, I mean, it sounds somewhat similar, though obviously very different in kind. The, the idea that you cannot achieve the speed of light. Like, we can get close to the speed of light, but we can't get there. 
Um, um, I don't know that that would be related necessarily, but it is interesting that the universe does seem to put these types of limitations on us. Um, you can't cool down until the point where there's absence of motion, and you can't speed up to the point where you can move faster than a theoretical wave in vacuum. Right. Yeah. A massless wave in vacuum. So I have a question about this. How did they figure out the number, the negative 273, zero Kelvin? How did they figure out that there would be no motion at that point if they can't reach that point? I think that, um, well, I mean, it, this is, it's always an approximation. It's not negative 273.15. It's negative 273.1, who knows what. Um, but just uh if, if you're familiar with a lot uh, with um certain types of mathematical graphs of different functions um you'll see something called an asymptote it's a value on I don't the graph you, i don't Watch appreciate language. that language yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right shut up uh, <laughs> so the expression um as as y approaches 2 X approaches infinity. What that means is that uh, if I have two values, X and Y, and they're related somehow, as my Y value gets larger and larger and larger and approaches two, my X will approach infinity. Now, I can't actually get to infinity, can I? Not that I know. I don't have that power, and neither do you. Only <laughs> Buzz Lightyear can, but he yes. actually goes beyond it. Yeah, that's so, right. But what that means is that in order for Buzz Lightyear to get to two, he actually has to get to infinity and beyond it. The rest of us mere mortals who are not space rangers will never get to two because we can't get our X to infinity. Likewise, you can see mathematical functions in nature that show similar asymptotes. Uh, so if I start cooling my object and I'm and I cool it and cool it and cool it and I put infinite energy into cooling it, I can see that the temperature is approaching negative 273.15 Celsius, but it will never quite get there. That's the asymptote. And that's how you determine what that value could be. Now, real quick, before we go any further, can I just put this out here? Can you guys just, for the sake of time, assume that about every 30 seconds, I'm stopping everyone and saying that would be an awesome band name. Please stop. There's just too many. How do I get him off? Massless wave and vacuum. Imagine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, massless wave and vacuum. And there's a way. I think I can mute him personally. Oh, Hold on. It's a... yes. I think we should go back to WWE catchphrases. <laughs> All right. Oh, I can also hit remove from call. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Having okay. weird fun with this. Oh, yeah, I do. All right. Um, Wait, did I just unmute myself? Yeah, yes, you unmuted yourself. Band. That's what you get. You just missed a whole bunch of cool band names. Too bad for okay. you. Keeping them for myself. <laughs> right. Okay. So, you go name a band Asymptote and see how well it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we will get lots of media attention. <laughs> yeah, Tim Cox okay. and the Infinite Asymptotes. Once All right. Again, <laughs> I hope you delete this the, whole section. Back to the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> oh, we're um, done with them. That's a good it. band name. 
Uh, right. Well, uh, the, on the on the idea of the third one, though, uh, and back to that idea, so is there? I, I know once we, we have theoretical ideas of what hap what happens when we get to the speed of light. Obviously, they're all theoretical because we can't get there. Yep. Is there? Are there any theoretical I, I, implications of of actually achieving absolute zero? I mean, the mole, n nothing moves. That doesn't do yeah. anything, though, right? Like well. It's it is a state where there can be no other type of reaction. There would be no chemical reaction. There would be no molecular motion. So, what if I had some kind of um, uh, some kind of highly toxic, reactive, dangerous, horrible, horrible, nasty substance? For some reason, I wanted to be able to use it, but only in certain specific conditions. And when I'm not using it, I need to store it somewhere. Well, if I can store it at absolute zero, then I know that it's not going to react with anything while it is cryocooled to that ridiculously low temperature. It can't react with anything. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I don't know. Superconductivity. Um, don't some substances uh, acquire superconductive qualities at near or at absolute zero? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, at different temperatures, material properties change all over the place. Um, you can get something called superfluidity as well, which is where um, if you put your fluid in a container, it doesn't just sit in the bottom of the container. It will creep up the sides of the of the walls of the container and spill out, uh, which is kind of cool. It is cool. But, um, yeah, I don't know. The pra practical purposes of absolute zero, you'd have to top to an actual physicist instead of a, a layman like me here. <laughs> the best <laughs> I, I can do is... I do have a question is... about that. Um, if you are at absolute zero, does it stop all reactions, including like, radioactive decay? I don't know. Um, I would imagine so because your, your molecular and your atomic motion is halted. So I don't know. Does that mean the That's electrons are stopped too? Um... That's a good question. I don't know as much about this as I should. I know that molecular oscillation is halted, but I don't think that would apply to electron orbits. Yeah, that'd be because so then they just. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting, because I'd imagine it also has some implications in the quantum realm as well, though. Given that all of that is theoretical, and this is also theoretical, uh, who knows? But like the idea of, well, I guess string theory recently was kind of debunked. So anyway, um, I did have a question though. As far as okay, so applying this to something that people are kind of generally familiar with, or at least maybe have have learned about a little bit in school, the idea of, of the universe um, either expanding or contracting. Um, Right. So the idea that either um, we're going to end up with uh, all heat, all energy being used up. Right. Eventually, this, our system will use up all of its energy and we, we will we will just become a cold block of almost zero, absolute zero nothingness. Right. Uh, no, actually, no? that violates many of the laws of thermodynamics. I was going yeah. to say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how does so if but if the the universe continues to expand 
And uh, I mean, sun stars burn out. You know, doesn't energy eventually become into a form that's no longer usable? I guess that is a more correct statement um, because, again, the first law of thermodynamics says I can't destroy energy; it's always there. But what I can do is put it in a state where it is equivalent, uh, like that second law I was talking about, where everything is in equilibrium with everything else. And when I reach that point, then no additional reactions can take place because I'm at equilibrium. And in order to have a reaction, I would have to move energy uphill. The second law says I can't do that. So it's not that the whole universe is at absolute zero. It's that the entire universe would be at a uniform, I don't know, 15 degrees Fahrenheit. It won't be that, but it will be at a uniform temperature and a uniform molecular composition and a uniform everything such that no additional energetic reactions of any kind can take place. That is what people fear when they talk about the heat death of the universe. Okay, so... And that quickly gives rise to a whole bunch of nihilistic philosophies that I think are utterly bogus uh, and that I don't want to go into. But yes, your life and your existence do have meaning. Don't worry about the heat death of the universe. Speaking of the heat (laughs) death of the universe, which I believe when we were in college together, we considered making a movie about, I'm not mistaken. But um, aside from that... Brilliant. But the other alternative, right, is the idea that the universe is contracting. And if that is the case, then what we end up with is everything heating up, right? Like, because it's compacting. Does that sound right? Does anyone? Uh, I'll admit I haven't followed that theory and don't know about its implications. Johnny, you got anything? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, They didn't teach that in medical school, Johnny? <laughs> no, we talk about it all the time in medical school. Neurology, heat transfer, yeah. and the universe coming together. Okay, yeah. good. Good. Band name. <laughs> okay, I feel like I took okay, I took astronomy in college, as did Tim, from the same teacher, uh, oh, who yeah. I believe was probably time, still teaching. Look, if you want to say, talk about I'm, what all of this means to me as a Sagittarius versus you as a Cancer, we can have that separate discussion. <laughs> I'm just trying to get some uh, some uh, implications uh, that uh, anyway. Did you just call Carl Cancer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so um, so. We'll move on from that, given that I don't know the exact implications. I think the idea was that if this, the universe is contracting, you get back to the point where you're in a pre-Big Bang state, right? Because the whole idea is everything kind of combusts back together. And so the energy of the whole system comes back into one, in which case that's massive, right? That's It's literally the whole energy of the universe combat, compacted into one little particle or, you know, whatever. And Carl, well, we could ask, probably... Let me ask Matt this. Um, if energy is lost as heat then can it be can you get it back i'll give a layman 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 answer to that question please don't is, say band name I, I got no idea well um i i could say this johnny just as this is just me kind of spitballing you guys can tell me what you think but the i think the answer to that is 
in some ways, yes. For example, that's what a lot of plants and microbial creatures do. They, they, you know, the the sun is losing energy, right, from its uh, from its fusion process and shooting that energy out across space, and then algae and grass and trees and so forth capture that energy and absorb it into once again into a complex system of, of life that is then reabsorbed you know by herbivores it's then absorbed by carnivores and omnivores and so forth so yeah but every time that transfer happens um some of the energy potential is lost so when a plant undergoes photosynthesis, which is when it makes energy, um, it ma it's basically making sugar. And then the when the animal eats it, they're not going to get 100% of the energy from that sugar. They're going to lose some of its heat. That's why our bodies are warm, because they're going through these um, molecular processes where they're not 100% perfect. And so we create, we lose this heat. And then... Uh, some you know great white shark decides to eat me well it's not <laughs> going to get the hundred percent of like what i have put into making my body anyway so there's always a little bit that's lost the reason that the world just doesn't end is because we get energy input from the sun so if we didn't have the sun then we couldn't life wouldn't happen because you have to have that energy input to provide energy for all these different types of things that's why um you know animals are so complex and can be is because uh is because of the constant energy input into our system which is the earth anyway that's kind of like what i understand but cool hey, have you guys ever considered taunting a leaf of lettuce as you eat it Something like you may have gotten more energy efficiency, but I still win. No, Tim. <laughs> nope. Uh, good. That's COVID nineteen downtime getting to you? No, <laughs> not at all. I'm just fine. You ever taunted a piece of lettuce instead of talking to your children? Because I'm tired of that. <laughs> just can't take it anymore. <laughs> oh boy. Take I that that's actually... terrible green leaf. That comes back soon. Taunting a piece, ta taunting a piece of lettuce. Uh, band name, Tim. Ooh, yes. Now we're rolling. See, I think that's too long. Just taunting lettuce is probably good. Taunting lettuce. Yeah, it's got to kind of roll off the tongue. Yeah. I like that. It's the kind of name that people will be like, "How on earth did they come up with that?" I guess I'll buy their album. <laughs> so I think you all have to remember also. Um, First off, you lose energy from the refraction of the atmosphere, going back to what Johnny was talking about, to the plants. But all that radiation is eventually collected back up and put into other things. You know, it goes back into the black hole that collects everything, then that eventually becomes a new star after I was actually going to how many bring billions of years. So mm, I was going to bring that up. One of the things that I've I feel like I've read in the past, and I try not to read too much about black holes because um, it's like it's like studying an infinity. Eventually, you go. There you go was crazy. Um, something I saw the other day. Um, it was a kind of a timeline: what's going to happen to the world 
in the universe. I think Google did it or someone. Hold on, let me, let me find that. While you're looking well, that up, if you if you like, this is my question. If you have a piece of wood, it's basically a whole bunch of carbon bonds, and you can break those bonds and give yourself energy by burning the wood, and it gives off heat. And then you break all those carbon bonds, and you're left with ash, which is just carbon. At that point, you've let off all the heat. Can the heat be recouped, or is it like eventually, I guess it would just eventually equalize into the system, but that energy that was used to form the bond that is now broken, it's now heat, and can it be reversed? I don't know. I, I think the answer would be not with any technology we have. The, I think the energy expended recapturing that energy would be more than the energy capture, right? Is kind of the, the plot hole in, in uh, the Matrix where they, they're you know, using humans as batteries because human bodies produce heat. But the laws of thermodynamics you know, dictate that the energy they would need to feed those humans to then capture the heat would be greater than, you know, that they would be losing heat out of the system. It, it wouldn't work. Um, so, so I guess the answer is even the super powerful, highly advanced robots of the matrix couldn't do it. So we can't. <laughs> if a world without rules cannot do it, then we cannot. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i yeah i feel like uh the it, the physics the the laws of thermodynamics the proofs of thermodynamics uh all of these things generally work in this idyllic uh scenario where matt gave the uh, equation earlier about x and um when you put two buckets of energy into a system that has three buckets of energy you end up with uh, five buckets of energy minus any amount that was used up in the transfer or reaction, uh, that reaction is, I'd imagine, once again, as a complete layman on the subject, is almost never zero, right? You are, there's always a loss involved. And so a, a loss in, a, into a form, not a loss of energy, right? Because the first law of thermodynamics, you can't lose energy, but into a, a form of energy that cannot be recouped. Um, yeah, in, yeah, in, in any... An undesirable form of energy, right? Like like heat energy that is yeah almost impossible to recapture, um, in in a usable way, um, and so yeah, I think that's the idea. I was just looking it up, and I looking up the efficiency of internal combustion engines, and the it's saying that most modern combustion engines have a thermal efficiency of about 20% to 35% with some of the really, really high-end ones achieving up to, um, you know, 35% or um, there's like some diesel engines, like slow-moving diesel engines that can get up to 45 to 54%. So, you know, even the very, very best engines that we can make are trans, you know, are losing half of the energy of that, that material gasoline or, or whatever it is. 
And I suppose that's not even considering the fact that a lot of um, energy had to be expended to convert that, uh, you know, the crude oil to pump it and then convert it into gasoline to use it in the system in the first place. So it's, I guess, it's kind of scary that our, our best go-to for energy conversion is, you know, engines are so darn inefficient. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so real-world use cases of, yeah, of this. And so I'm just looking at, at uh, Wikipedia, which is how I get all of my knowledge. Um, and it says that, so the, and I remember learning this in college as well, the idea that entropy increases when you use energy. The, the, uh, so the increase of entropy accounts for the irreversibility of natural processes and the asymmetry between future and past. So the idea that like when we increase when we're using energy, we're increasing the entropy of the universe, which event eventually it's it's these are irreversible natural processes which put the energy into a form that is not not reversible. Yeah, you can't we're no longer in the state where we can uh, harness that energy. Well, you you can uh, decrease entropy, but it does take energy to do that. Right. And like your fridge, for example, right? You're decreasing entropy inside of your fridge, but increasing, increasing entropy around your fridge. That's the idea of we're cooling off the in, inside, but we're on the outside. We are actually heating up. Yeah. yeah the, the, I think one of the best ways entropy was explained to me is if you have a room that you never clean eventually it's going to be a disastrous mess if you put your energy into it and clean it then you can decrease you can decrease that entropy which is disorder so you can order things but it takes your energy put into the system in order to make it more ordered does that make sense yeah and actually from personal experience my bedroom once almost experienced heat death <laughs> <laughs> My mom really got on my case. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so um, I found it. It's the timeline of the universe from birth to death. Um, this one was by Harry Everett. I thought it was by someone else, but um, ooh, I think that's the one one. Time lapse of the future. That one's 30 minutes. But basically about 10 trillion years from now is when the universe actually starts to stop expanding and collapse on itself. That's cool. I'll set my timer. Tell Alexa to set yeah. a reminder. Okay, Google. Yeah, <laughs> set timer for 10 trillion years. So, yeah. It's um, it's pretty crazy. It kind of goes through all that. It's something about, well, what was it? It was about 13 minutes into it. Okay. That is pretty uh, mind-boggling. But anyway, on that, yeah. on that thought and on those time scales, I read once about black holes. You know, we 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 talk about black holes being, you know, no matter can escape. Um, but if you stretch the time scale long enough, even black holes will randomly, just due to random chance, occasionally emit particles. And so, if you stretch the timeline long enough, you black holes themselves aren't forever you know the but but again it's it's a mind-boggling vast 
you know, amount of time. You know, speaking of things that aren't forever, um, diamonds actually decay what? at a very, very, very slow rate, but they aren't forever. They will eventually become just nothing more than charcoal. So, question. False, if I'm... false advertising. <laughs> I think it's a class action right? lawsuit Broad. right there in the making go. here. They well, are not if, forever. If I'm shopping for a diamond, can I go to them? I'll be like, I'll look at it one week and I'll say, what's the price? And they'll quote me the price and then I'll say, let me think about it. Can I come back a week later and be like, wait a second. Diamonds undergo decay. This thing is a lower quality now. It's been a week. And like, get them to lower the price. Uh, I think the decay is a little slower than that. So <laughs> maybe if you Shoot. went back in like 300 years. Okay. You so here's another fun thing. In 762 million years, we will never have a uh, full eclipse anymore. Whoa. There's something to think about. 762 million years? So enjoy yes. it while you can, people. So, That's right. <laughs> okay, I'll set a timer to enjoy my last eclipse. Alexa, set timer to enjoy last eclipse 761 million years from now. Which is pretty close to when the sun gets too hot and kills all life on the Earth at ah, 880 Alexa, million years. 760 million years. Set timer to leave the planet. <laughs> so, you know, the eventual heat death of the Earth. Cameron, stop. My calendar's full. I can't do it. <laughs> Tim can't handle more than one appointment at a time. You know this, Cameron. You know this. <laughs> That's right. I'm so, not a planner. Yes, apparently because the sun increases luminosity by 10%, it increases the Earth's heat by 50%, or the temperature. So. Well, shoot. And Phoenix will now be 200 degrees, and you will die. Oh, water world. Got it. No, no, this goes past water world. This this so hot, it kills everything. I can only process things through popular movies. It evaporates all the water. What about cockroaches, though? I heard they're basically impossible to kill. That's nuclear and radiation. We're, we're to water world and cockroaches now. Save us. Okay, somebody said nuclear. That's the first problem. <laughs> oh. So do you want me to just go into the basic energy measurement types? Sure, that'd be All great. Right. Or, or units, okay. Yeah. So your, your basic energy unit, and I'm only going to talk metric here because I am a reasonable person. I'm I not would prefer to go into scientific. Versus I metric. want qubits. You want system international? Yes. We. <laughs> oui. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're not dealing with British thermal units or horsepower or stone pounds per foot. But um, anyway, so your your basic unit of energy measurement is the joule. It is analogous to that bucket of energy that I mentioned before. Uh, imagine your light bulb. You want your light bulb to actually have some light, right? Well, you throw a joule of energy at it, and it reacts and generates about a, I don't know, two-thirds of a joule of light and a third of a joule of heat, depending now, on... Matt, the we, should probably, we should probably clarify, because we were just talking about diamonds, so we don't mean joule, J-E-W-E-L. We mean... J-O-U-L-E. Did I spell it right? Yes, you did. There we go. Thank you for that distinction. 
So, okay. for I'm all you laymen out there, please stop shoving diamonds into your light bulbs. It's not going to work the way that you want. Yeah. Um, so, getting rid of fractions. I have my light bulb. I want to make it light. I throw three jewels at it. I get two jewels converted to light, and I get one jewel converted to heat. And then I'm done. And my light goes out, and I'm plunged back into darkness. Um, so we have another energy-ish measurement, and we call that one power. And power is energy uh, over time. Ener it's a rate. It is the amount of joules that you chuck into something in a given amount of time. Uh, so consider your shower. Uh, you don't just want a liter of water to appear out of your shower. You want a constant flow coming out of your shower. You want so many liters per second. Likewise, with your light bulb, you want so many joules per second. The unit for that is watts. Uh, one watt is one joule per second. So my 60 watt light bulb is a light bulb that consumes 60 joules of energy every second. And it spits back out, I don't know, 40 joules of light and, 40 joule, and, and 20 joules of heat or something. According to the first law of thermodynamics, the amount that it spits out will always be 60 joules because that's how much I'm putting in. I'm sorry, it will always be 60 watts. It will be 60 joules per second at a rate of 60 or, or and that is a rate of 60 watts. Um, you can have different efficiencies for your light bulbs and for your systems and for whatever else. Your LCD bulb is going to give you way more joules of light and fewer joules of heat uh, for an equivalent amount of energy. But all of your light bulbs and all of your machines and all of your systems, no matter what they are, will consume and change and transform and produce energy uh, in, under that basic construct. You'll have a certain amount of energy that goes in measured in joules, or you will have a certain rate of energy input measured in watts. And then you will have an output of energy in joules or watts, and the amount of the output plus the amount of the change on the inside will be directly related to the input in according to that first law of thermodynamics. Hey, Does that make question. any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So incandescent light bulbs are the least efficient. They emit more heat. LEDs and other kinds emit less. I know that, but how do you know anything about the mechanics of how LED lights achieve higher efficiency? What what's the how do they work? Or does anyone know that might not well, be it's just a more efficient chemical reaction at its core. I have a question about dollars and cents with this. So if I am usually using a 60-watt light bulb and I go down to a 40-watt light bulb, is that going to make an appreciable difference in my power bill from month to month? It depends how long you have the light bulb on. Well, yes, it will. Okay. Let's assume that your power bill right now consists only of the electricity that you use for 60 watt light bulbs. Yeah, if you drop all of your light bulbs to 40 watt bulbs, in exchange for living in a depressing <laughs> dimness, which is what you get out of 40 watts, mm -hmm. you will save one third of your power bill because you are using uh, less 
less electricity. A third? This is also why the, you're only using two uh, thirds of what you used before. So you save. Yeah. Save a third. Yeah. Th- but this is also why the LED uh, light bulbs make sense and why this, the energy conversion matters is because you're getting more light. So more of the energy is being uh, emit, emitted as light. When, when you go and you shop for an LED bulb, it's um, it doesn't actually use 60 watts. It uses 8.5 to 9 watts. And what you'll see on the box is that it is advertised as a 60-watt equivalent. Uh, you don't want your LED bulb to use up all 60 watts. That would be stupid. You want it to use up way less watts, which it does, and produce the same amount of light, which it does. The way that it's able to do that is simply because it uses a more efficient energy transfer process. The the electrical and chemical reactions that occur in a light-emitting diode are more efficient. They generate more light and less heat than the chemical reaction that happens when you pump electricity into that little filament in your incandescent bulb. Um, when you touch an LED bulb, you shouldn't do that. But if you did, it is still appreciably cooler than an equivalent 60-watt uh, incandescent bulb. A 60-watt bulb will burn your fingers pretty quick. I don't know that from experience because I'm smart, but I've heard that. Um, you you can set your teddy bear on fire once from a 60-watt bulb. Wait, what? <laughs> heat dead. That's True. called heat dead. Yeah, there we go. Your Winnie uh, the Pooh bear that we put in the lampshade, it cut on fire. And it happened. I was the there. Lampshade. I do it's remember a good that. day to die, muttered <laughs> Yeah, so if we had... Thank you for remembering or reminding me how you assassinated one of my stuffed animals. <laughs> if we'd had LED bulbs at the time, that little Pooh Bear doll might have gotten a sunburn, but he wouldn't have gotten the uh, potentially house-burning-down scorch marks <laughs> that he did. Um, and it's all because of the efficiency of the reaction. Now, the reactions on both of them are in accordance with the law of thermodynamics in the sense of when you have a 60-watt incandescent bulb, you chuck 60 watts of electricity into that thing, you get, say, 5 watts of light out of it and 55 watts of heat. Now, you take your LED bulb. It uses 8.5 watts. You get the same 5 watts of light out of it with only three and a half watts of heat that's pretty cool um the 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 same math works out three and a half watts of heat plus five watts of light is eight and a half watts and that's what my bulb consumes five watts of heat or or, i'm sorry five watts of light plus 55 watts of heat is the 60 watts that my incandescent bulb consumes both observe the first law of thermodynamics the difference is simply that one is way more efficient and therefore uses less overall energy for its first law equation does that make sense yes excellent yeah so i have a question how bright would a 60 watt an actual 60 watt led bulb be Oh, you've, man was not meant to handle such devices. <laughs> you know those cars right. you see going right down the highway side. and I mean, blind you, could, you? Yeah, you could do a very rough extrapolation with this. If um, 
you have a a, a eight and a half watt LED bulb is equivalent to a sixty watt incandescent bulb. Well, that's like uh, roughly one eighth. Uh, that means that if you had a sixty watt LED bulb, it would be roughly eight times brighter than a sixty watt incandescent bulb, which is pretty blinding. It would be uh, doing some stupid public math. A six hundred forty watt bulb. <laughs> Wow. Oh, gosh. So that's, you know, you'd use oh, that at, at, yeah, to advertise Crazy Larry's auto sales weekend. Yeah. Uh, they have the searchlights going, you know, yeah, or, or spot for anti-aircraft batteries or something. I don't know. I mean, you'd, you'd be shining on the moon at that point. But w- one of the great things that comes into that, that this has brought about is for survival gear, um, for flashlights and things that people use uh, that they have in their cars that they take on hikes that they put on their heads you can have a very compact very bright bulb that will last eight times as long on the same battery as an incandescent bulb with an equivalent light output which is pretty cool so okay all all of our flashlights are led flashlights and they're bright and they last forever and i love it so instead uh, of your flashlight dying after an hour walking through the woods, you now yep. have eight hours. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we all remember going camping as children and setting up the tent in the dark with the flashlights and thinking it was the greatest thing ever until the flashlight died halfway through. And then we were out of luck. And it didn't I matter. the yeah. 32D batteries that you had to take with you to make right. sure you had light. Yep. <laughs> Because we were all using ancient incandescent bulbs back then. Your LED bulb lasts significantly longer. So, um, and, and I mean, we've kind of gone from the first law of thermodynamics to singing the praises of LED bulbs. The other benefit of them is that the actual physical mechanisms or, or components do not degrade the same way that the components of an incandescent bulb do. Um, the other other benefit that they have over some other energy efficient bulb types like um, CFL bulbs is that in general they won't set your house on fire, whereas a CFL bulb carries a very real fire hazard risk. Ask me how I know. Would you ask? Well, it's because we almost had one set our house on fire. And uh, after we called the fire department and they figured out where the uh, source of the burning was coming from, they actually asked if they could keep our CFL bulb, which had scorched a hole in the base, melted through the plastic. Uh, They asked if they could keep that as a training aid for their fire department. When was this? And we made them an offer and they rejected our offer. And so we told them no. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, This was back in... uh, This is back six or seven years ago uh since then i've never purchased a cfl bulb if you want to do that that's fine aren't those the ones that you also had to have a hazmat team use or if it broke and yeah because they have mercury in them uh-huh mercury vapor and yeah it'll... yeah they're they're pretty pretty nasty if they break do bad things to you yeah okay so there are other measurements of energy but i think we've belabored the point of the um led bulbs to the point where we probably should be wrapping the podcast here pretty soon um hey tim that's another good idea for a band name is lead (laughs) 
or or belabored LED, like okay. Led Zeppelin or something cool like that. Nah, that wouldn't work. It just sounds. Uh, nice try, Johnny. That's okay. destined to failure. It just came to me. Yeah. Well, get some sleep, huh? It is late here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, on the other units of energy, we can really briefly touch it. A, a calorie is, uh, what, but they all convert back to joules eventually, right? The idea of a calorie is uh, the uh, ability that it says the heat. Uh, it's the amount needed to raise one gram of water one degree centigrade. Yeah. So a calorie a is calorie is basically an obsolete unit at this point. Uh, right. The joule is. The joule is the thing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Don't yep. tell Jenny Craig it's obsolete. <laughs> oh, that's, by yeah. the way, that's when you talk about calorie. calories, it's actually kilocalories. It's kcal, um, yes. not just calories. So what? Yeah, it's a thousand <laughs> calories. Yeah. That explains oh, the word. gut, Tim. That explains the gut. Yeah, yeah. this changed. I've got to stop eating. So when you <laughs> when you have a food that's only a hundred calories, it's actually a hundred thousand calories. Think yeah. about that for a minute. If we told people that, everyone would feel so gluttonous. Well, we <laughs> are telling like, people that. Yeah, that's right. There you go. So stop it. Put that now, Oreo down. Conversely, your exercise machine that tells you that you're burning five calories for having jogged a, a, a mile and a half is also measuring kilocalories. So you can feel slightly better about that. You've burned 5,000 calories. We could go into business, start selling equipment that tells you how many actual calories you're burning. People, you know, feel better <laughs> using our stuff. Feel yeah. that if you just put on chapstick, that's five calories. So I have to, <laughs> I now have to walk a mile and a half to burn off my chapstick. So <laughs> you're not okay. supposed Questions to eat about... your chapstick, Cameron. You're not supposed to eat it. <laughs> hey, ah, he's cutting that's into what I've been doing stores. wrong my entire life. He's trying to social distance. <laughs> Right. Petroleum. During, during this outbreak, you you make do, right? That's right. right. Did you have anyway, uh, other energy unit questions? I I don't think so. I mean, electricity are different measurements, right? So the, yeah. they're related in the layman's mind because I am the layman and they're related in my mind. But the idea sure. of volts and amperage and all that kind of stuff, uh, those aren't exact. Those aren't measurements of energy. They're measurements of electricity, right? So. Uh, yeah, it, it would be worthwhile doing a whole separate thing on electrical uh, measurement and, and physics and engineering and stuff. Right. But, but yeah, those are essentially circuit measurements. Right. Uh, so let's really ask a question that people want to know. Does it make a difference if I leave an appliance plugged in or unplugged to save on electricity? It depends on entirely on the appliance and how the appliance is engineered. Uh, but in general, if your appliance is doing anything, if it is feeding electricity through a circuit, if it is maintaining a temperature, if it is sitting there with an intermittent motor coming on and off, it is using electricity. Uh, if your TV is downloading updates on its Wi-Fi while it's off, uh, it is using electricity and energy. If you don't want that to happen, then unplug the stupid thing. If you don't care, leave it plugged in. Uh, different appliances are engineered differently to have different shutoffs and, and switches. So it totally depends on the appliance. 
but yeah, look at whatever your thing is. If it's got a light that's on or blinking, well, it's at least using electricity for something. Possibly a minuscule amount, possibly a large amount. You'd have to look it up. But, I actually um, did just look. So this, I don't know how old this stat is, but it says in the average home, 75% of the electricity used to power home electronics is consumed while the products are turned off. So as an example, it says the average desktop computer idles at 80 watts, while the average laptop idles at 20 watts. So I'd imagine, if, I don't know how old this, this is, this thing that I'm reading, I imagine over time these uh, electronic devices have become more efficient uh, with their, their processes, but they're going to still consume. If it was 75%, let's say 10 years ago, I'd imagine best case scenario, we're talking 50% now. It, well, I mean, again, it all depends on the specific device, and a lot of them have evolved and changed. And when they talk about idling, that means to me something very different than being switched off. Um, so when, when my computer is idle, uh, I consider that sitting there displaying the desktop background but not actually executing any programs. And yes, it idles at some amount of watts. Um, but when it is switched off, uh, my desktop, at least, is pretty dead. It, it doesn't do much of anything. Uh, I don't know if your desktop is the same. It all depends. Right. One other thing that I'll point out is your electrical bill is measured in one other units of, of measurement here, since we talked about those, and that's watt hours. It's actually kilowatt hours. Um, and it's just what it sounds like. You get billed based on the amount of electricity you chew up over time. And you chew up electricity at a given rate, measured in watts, and we talk about how many hours you've spent chewing up electricity at that rate. That's your kilowatt hours, and that's what your bill uh, is, and that's what you end up paying for. So if my computer absorbs half a kilowatt, which it does, and I leave it on for 10 hours, I've bought five kilowatt hours of electricity for that period of time, and that's what I'm gonna pay for. Cool. Hey, one other quick interesting fact I just read while you were talking about that, it says according to Google, this is by the way published in 2017. Oh it yeah, so it's to, definitely true and correct. Exactly. Uh, according to Google, the energy it takes to conduct 100 searches on its site Mm -hmm. is equivalent to a 60-watt light bulb burning for 28 minutes. Wow. So if you do 100 searches, it's essentially leaving a light on for half an hour. Hmm. Was that published on MySpace? <laughs> <laughs> so if yeah, you want to be... I, I thought it meant Google, but I guess when it said Yahoo, it probably did actually mean yeah. Yahoo. <laughs> so, and, and now that's the energy that's being consumed by Google's server farms, not Correct. what you as the consumer are doing. So if you want Correct. to be a bit of an eco-terrorist, just set up a little bot on your computer to do Google searches over and over, send the Google server <laughs> farm into overdrive, have them consume all the electricity, and yeah, there we go. Right. There we go. Every, every time you do a Google search, a spotted owl dies <laughs> is really what it comes down to. Take that, nature. Wow. <laughs> Peter should really get listened to our podcast now. I'll right. do that, and then I'll <laughs> taunt some lettuce. 
worst, worst ways to die. You guys already did that, right? So yeah, we did. We did. But we could yeah, do killed a, by uh, Google search. Didn't make the list, but oh well. <laughs> make a new set. It's a it's a deep topic. Lots to Spotted mind. owl dying by Google searches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That didn't make top ten. What the heck? <laughs> I'm sorry, Johnny. We let you down. All right. Well, on that unfortunate note, we will leave this podcast and uh, <laughs> and ask you. Do we ever leave on a fortunate note? No, we never do. So it's entropy. We'll just, uh, entropy. Um, please come back and don't um, judge us. So until next time, um, you can subscribe to the podcast if you want to, I guess, and uh, stay safe. But only search it once.